welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Formula Legend. On this week's edition, the European Grand Prix in Azerbaijan, could Lewis Hamilton have finished on the podium? And is Sebastian Vettel a better strategist than the Ferrari strategist? That's all to come on this edition of the Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and joining me for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix review... It's been hard to call it the European Grand Prix, but we should probably actually try. So the European Grand Prix review from the podcast for F1's sake. Her name's Chica Ayres. How are you? Hello, Michael. Yes, I'm good, thank you very much. Are you well? Yes, I'm good. I'm not as uh, not as sort of over the moon as I thought I'd be the day after the race, considering how much hype there was for it. <laughs> Wasn't exactly what we expect. I mean, did you watch GP2, for example? Because that's hit the bar so high. I mean, I'm a lot less stimulated than I thought I would. I thought, you know, I might not be able to sleep last night but I slept very soundly mm, yeah it was a, it was a bit like that I think it's well I mean it worked on that level at very least so it did something for some people <laughs> but it was new I mean it was it was kind of good to have a new race I mean I know we had Mexico last year mm. but for some reason this one just seemed more exciting I don't know if it's because of the the strange novelty of having a European Grand Prix that let's be honest is not really in Europe <laughs> or the I don't know the buildings around it but there was I don't know for, for me there was something exciting about it it was an absolutely beautiful setting I mean we were on a street tra- track next to the sea we had an evening race so the sun going down um, it also looked like a very high chance of crashing into a medieval castle, which was frankly very <laughs> exciting. But as you said, very beautiful. And um, there was so much hype, you know, it was inevitable that there was going to be huge crashes and safety cars and all of this. But actually, <laughs> it was a really quite boring race. Mm, there's really no way to avoid saying that. As much as we might try to, <laughs> it was kind of a bit boring. Mm. Uh, but that's the way I was. I, if, I can't help but think that Pasta retired one year too early, because really <laughs> there's one man who was going to crash into a UNESCO-listed <laughs> castle. He'd have been the man for the job. You're so right. <laughs> what, what, did you, what did you expect? I mean, I really thought that, I mean, it, 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 sort of like you said, safety cars seemed like it was going to be inevitable, considering that every strategist, and I know we go to races around the world, Monaco being an example, and I think Canada as well, where they say, you know, there's a 70-something percent chance of a safety car. So we'll plan for one, probably. But everyone was just, every strategist before this race said, no, there will be a safety car, at least one, probably more. It's in the strategy. (laughs) And then absolutely nothing. And it's just sort of, you couldn't help but feel maybe three-quarter distance. Everyone was just thinking oh well this hasn't really worked out at all and the race almost stopped in that last quarter because nothing happened everyone sort of ran out of strategy ideas everyone ran out of almost the will to keep racing (laughs) I swear people were like wait for it it will Mm. happen (laughs) yeah and somehow just not but I guess they sort of got it out of their system a little bit on Saturday I mean between Perez crashing in free practice Mm. three and then or Hamilton crashing in qualifying I guess we should really start there because that set up what was ultimately a very straightforward Grand Prix uh, by crashing and and qualifying only 10th which weirdly off afternoon considering he looked so good on Friday and well considering before this weekend talk was what momentum was with Hamilton and a title resurgence it was weird wasn't it it was was the worst driving we've seen from Hamilton all season in the qualifying but Mm. the practice he was he was great so it it wasn't the track Uh, but he quite freely admitted that it, it was it was his fault, which he's, he's not always great at, let's be honest. And all, <laughs> all of Britain was behind him saying, do you know what? The sun was in his eyes. The sun was yeah. in his eyes. And then they said, was the sun in your eyes, Hamilton? And he said, no. 
And all of our hearts sung, like, we were behind you all the way. <laughs> I loved that. I loved the sun in the eye. It was a great, like, grassy knoll kind of conspiracy. <laughs> the castle of Azerbaijan and the shadow and the sun conspired to put Hamilton out of the race. <laughs> we're, we're with you. But then the, the race, I just... I don't know what happened. It was it was all it was weird, wasn't it? Because um because it all seemed very confusing. It was an engine setting problem mm. that both Mercedes had, right? But Rosberg managed to fix it immediately, whereas it took Hamilton forty laps. <laughs> Which is such a distinct difference. Such a distinct difference. And then he spent a lot of it on the radio so well tell me how to fix it and they were like mate we we can't just tell me and it, it seemed like a very sort of um you know when you have computer problems you want to be like go to start my computer all of that um, but it wasn't only that he had tire vibration problems didn't he mm, yeah he seemed to struggle well i mean the tires i guess he seemed to struggle with because he flat spotted i think all of his qualifying tires and they got he got through q2 and the set of tires he's meant to start the mm. race on the one he set the fastest lap on then was so flat spotted that they asked pirelli to to swap it out for another pair that he had which they're allowed to do and pirelli said well but you've got no other pairs to swap it with i think they ended <laughs> up having to swap it with someone else's tire that had run a similar amount of distance and then that had vibrations like you said at the end so he just really from saturday it all and even from saturday morning it must be said it sort of it all went wrong for him and then yeah the electronic issue really compounded matters and it's interesting that we've had this radio ban haven't we for well since the start of the year we had a little bit of it we had like a teaser of it at the end of last year and it hasn't really reared its head as a thing until now and in this race it was hamilton and and reichen and even rosberg a little bit who were all asking for information and and no one could give it to them. I mean, I don't know. What's your take on on this radio rule? Is it a bit too much? It seemed like it was. It wasn't anything to do with his driving, and that is the rule, isn't it? If mm. they cannot help a driver with his driving, which is, I I think that's a completely fair rule. But when it comes to setting up of the car, the electronics, that seems to be a little bit like that shouldn't be just the driver's problem mm. so I don't know but at the same time it gave a really exciting bit of viewing so I was more than happy to watch Hamilton have a right little hissy over it, yeah exactly I think so it's what um it threatened to cut out wasn't it I mean it's lucky that Ferrari drivers have been swearing so much because really had <laughs> colour to the races yeah, yeah their language was was brilliant now Hamilton's moaning now, isn't he? Saying that that's a, saying that it's dangerous. Yeah, he sort of came out on a on a lot of fronts, didn't he? First, it was it was annoying because fans couldn't see the racing, and then it was well, now it's a it's a threat to safety. <laughs> oh, shut up! <laughs> it's the race. I mean, last week we had seagulls. This week it's a new racing driver <laughs> excuse. A threat to safety. It sounds much bigger than seagulls, doesn't it? When you put it into words, threat to public safety yeah. is fairly serious. <laughs> Well, at least it wasn't the sun. Mm, yeah, it was Steve with the sun, exactly. Uh, but the fight at the front, it lacked Hamilton. He was 10th, he made it back up to 5th, and he had those problems. He couldn't He couldn't progress too much. We know the Mercedes car struggles a little bit when it's got to pass cars and be stuck in traffic. But, in his defence, when the, they got the problem fixed, with 10 laps to go, um, he got the fastest lap, which shows that mm. it, it really was holding him back, and he still has it. And do you think that if they got the problem solved on within the first 10 laps do you think he could have pulled through and potentially won 
Well, it would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Because he finished a little bit behind the uh, leading pack, behind, what was it, Rosberg, then Vettel, Perez, and, and Raikkonen. Uh, but it's, it would be interesting to know exactly how many seconds a lap that would have cost him. Because I don't think they've really said that. You know, sometimes they come out and go, well, what was it in China when he damaged his floor or something? He said, well, he was losing one and a half seconds a lap and you felt like that was way too much. But if they'd said the same thing today, maybe we would have had to believe him because, what was it? If it's about 30 seconds, it's like half a second a lap. That seems reasonable. Well, can we agree on that, Matt? Let's say that. Let's say this podcast says Hamilton could have done it. You could have done it if it wasn't for loads of stuff. Yeah, it wasn't for problems. <laughs> he could have done it. No, I th- yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think he could have done it, but, you know, what can we say? He had tyre vibrations. He was a bit stroppy. And I guess it really all, it was that Saturday that set uh, him up for a pretty rough weekend. So I guess it's sort of a bit of everyone's fault. The team, the driver, they win and lose together. Let's say that. Uh, <laughs> Rosberg certainly won together with the team. He didn't do any losing at any point oh, this no. weekend. He, he won it all. It was so unchallenged that I almost don't really want to talk about him at all because what's to <laughs> say other than he sort of did the standard one-stop he did very well. The tyres lasted very good, and he won. <laughs> and isn't it lovely? Stayed in front, extended his lead to twenty-four points. Mm. He was very happy with himself. I mean, if you ever listen to our podcast, you know that when you know we've uh, we're quite critical of Rosberg, <laughs> shall we say? Um, but he uh, he did. My favourite bit of the entire race was after the race in the pre-podium room. He managed to flick himself in the <laughs> eye with his earpiece, <laughs> which was the most exciting thing that he'd, he'd done all weekend. I'm so glad that was noticed. I remember watching it and I was thinking, what's happened? How does that even happen? How <laughs> tense is that earpiece or whatever it is that it's flicked him in the eye? And he had such a sad expression after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Perez and Vettel were just so cool, mm. having some laughs, like no pressure. And he was like the stroppy little kid in the corner. <laughs> But I think, to be honest, that's that's about all, all the headlines that Rosberg brought in for us. Mm, got flicked in the eye, one race. Mm. Good job. Mm. <laughs> 10 out of 10 weekend for <laughs> Rosberg. Uh, but the battle behind him was a little bit less than straightforward, I guess. I mean, Vettel won... Well, he didn't win, rather. He finished comfortably in second. He had to get past Daniel Ricciardo for that. But it was interesting because we've seen... And I've no doubt you guys have noticed this as well. In the last couple of races... Well, I mean, not even the last couple of races. Since Australia, round one, Ferrari has been all over the place with strategy. They're making terrible calls, and they very nearly made a two-stop call for Vettel again this round, when one stop was clearly the way to go. The top three finishers, or top, well, six finishers, actually, all did a one-stop race. Uh, and he overruled them. They said, come in because Daniel Ricciardo's going to undercut you. Ricciardo had no pace. He was never going to do that. And Vettel said, nah, let's, let's not. And they listened to him, and he finished second. Because they didn't actually play any of the, the follow-up. Uh, on on the well on the coverage I was watching, so I didn't actually mm-hmm. see him saying absolutely not. The only bit I heard was when he said, "Are you sure about that?" Well, I mean, it was his call. I mean, he said the tires were working well, and so it was his call to to continue and do what I guess is sort of the regular one stop. Whereas Raikkonen stopped, and what was it, lap eight? I think it was. Yeah. Which was where the sort of two stop window would have started. So. He, he convinced his team that he knew strategy better than they did. And let's be honest, on form, who can, who can argue with him? <laughs> I mean, this right re- might really change things now. Maybe they they'll feel, won't feel comfortable arguing with Vettel. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, they were asking that question after, 
after Canada, weren't they? Who runs Ferrari? And I thought, that's a weird question. It's clear that they've got a team principal, they've got a CEO, they're in charge, they pay everyone. But all of a sudden, it's kind of like, well, who does run Ferrari? <laughs> Sebastian Vettel seems to be doing a lot of it. And he's doing it right, so, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if he's doing a good job, who can blame him? Give him a raise, why not? <laughs> but he got, he got second out of that, and it was a comfortable second because third for Raikkonen and Perez was was a kind of close thing, notwithstanding that Raikkonen got a weird penalty for driving over a white line mm. that's in the middle of the track on a 2.2-kilometre-long straight. Uh, but that was a closer-fought thing, and it's interesting how well Force India's been doing. I think that's sort of noteworthy in itself, because it used to be sort of Williams that would fill this position, where you got a track that's all to do with engine and being really slippery in a straight line. But when Williams was a kind of a bit nowhere, it's Sergio Perez, the man, probably the form man, I reckon, at this point of the year. Yeah, it was. A lot of people said that the track was very suited to Force India car, though. Was it was it more the car? Because mm-hmm. um, Hulkenberg did very well as well. Yeah, definitely. We shouldn't... I mean, Hulkenberg, strangely enough, getting a little bit overshadowed by Sergio Perez at this point, but mm. he did. He managed quite competently as well. Uh, this, I mean, it's, it's, I guess, the combination over a couple of years of, I mean, having the right amount of money and having the right amount of development that forced India's into a place where, oh, it's doing kind of well. I guess we can't avoid it. What has it been? Two podiums in the last three races. One of them was Monaco, which is was the one you want, let's be honest. So... I wonder how much they can be competing. I mean, we know they use their tyres really well. That's like a Perez specialty, isn't it, doing a one-stop. Mm-hmm. I wonder how far they can take this. I mean, we've got a fast track coming up in Austria as well. Could be on for another one. So you think Austria could be another chance for for Force India to shine? Well, possibly. I mean, this car's looking increasingly versatile, I think. Because was it, cause they introduced mm-hmm. that B-Spec car last year in Silverstone, and this car's kind of an evolution of that. And I think it did quite well there off the top of my head. So it's sort of, it's building mm-hmm. up a a catalogue of sort of racetracks that does kind of well at. I know this racetrack was not like any other track. It's sort of really weird, but Ever. I mean, it's it's good to finish second somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I really and his uh, overtake of Raikkonen was impressive. Impressive bit of driving. Mm. Do you think Raikkonen made it easy for him though? Given he sort of he spat the dummy a little bit by the end of the race, didn't he? Oh, he was not happy, Bunny, by this stage. No. I think he was like, "I'll sod it. Come on through, mate." <laughs> Just almost to make a point about it. <laughs> to be fair, Raikkonen did not have a, uh, a very a very good race he had the as you mm-hmm. said five second penalty for crossing the pit line um which nobody was really sure how that worked and no. it sort of seemed that he was getting out of the way for Vettel as well um yeah so I'm not sure whose fault that was uh, he had um he also had an unfortunate run in with a carrier bag um, which <laughs> totally wasn't his fault <laughs> that is littering it was big enough to be a bin liner it was huge <laughs> And it was blue, which was mm. even worse because it clashed. Yeah. And um, and he had to move him over to let Vettel, Vettel through on a lap. I think it was lap thirty, mm. um, which he did some brilliant uh, moaning over the radio, which is uh, of the, along the lines of "I don't want to look at him." Which I mean, he's just in front of you, mate. But carry on. So I think um, all in all, I think Raikkonen would not have finished that race a happy man, and I really wouldn't be surprised if he just waves Perez on past. Mm. And interesting, given that there's that rumour floating around that Perez might be the man to replace him. So I love how everyone's going, well, it was the symbolic move, wasn't it? Perez passed Raikkonen in both on the track and in his career. I don't know if it's true, but oh, it'd be interesting. I mean, Raikkonen's just pissed off, let's face it. But yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, you're right, you're right. This could be it now. Do you think it could be next season or is that too soon? Well, I mean, he hasn't signed a contract yet, has he? And I know, well, since Monaco, I think, it was one of the, I can't remember if it was 
Bob Fernley, the deputy more functional team principal of Force India anyway, wherever VJ Malley is, who knows? Uh, who said, well, you know, he'll be around. We've got a contract ready for him. Which all well and good. And obviously he just finished on the podium in Monaco and Perez says, I couldn't imagine myself anywhere else or whatever. Mm. But that's been a while now since Monaco and they, they haven't signed the contract that's in front of him that he says he's happy to sign. So, I don't know. It's difficult to read, isn't it? I wonder if it's mm. just sort of like he's... He's got a couple of podiums and wants a bit more money now, or whether this is genuinely someone's come along and offered him something else. I don't know. Who else? Who else would have offered him? Well, I mean, I can't help but think that, well, what's Raikkonen really doing at Ferrari? It's, I mean, really, <laughs> it's a very long retirement sort of concert tour, isn't it, mm. for him? He's, yeah. It's a superannuation tour of Formula One for Kimi Raikkonen, yeah. but he's not really doing very much for Ferrari. He needs to go... He needs to go to the uh, McLaren retirement <laughs> With the other former world champions who have, yeah. have no real feel yeah. for wanting to win anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can't help but think the Ferrari could use someone who would, I don't know, be a bit more enthusiastic about being there. I think <laughs> it could start. Let's anyway. go be on the radio. It would be an absolute treat, I think. I do like how much time he says he lost from letting Vettel pass. I've always been interested about drivers that, well, I lost so much time when I had to let my teammate pass. It doesn't take that long just to uh, sort of let him go and then put your foot back down, does it? No. I, just, I don't understand it. <laughs> no, I mean, that was he just wanted to list off and that was another excellent reason for why he didn't win. All right, let's talk about Red Bull Racing then because they're the team that after Monaco, certainly, where they threw away a win, which is as good as it gets in 2016 for any team that's not Mercedes, unless you're Max Verstappen, I guess. Uh, it really seemed like they were they were back. And again, granted, this has to be the asterisk on pretty much everything we say this episode. This circuit was not representative of anything at all. Uh, they were just... They were really nowhere. I mean, they did really well in qualifying. I think uh, Daniel Ricciardo's lap to get third was was pretty on it. I think he deserves plaudits for that. But in the race, it didn't seem like almost any tyre work. The medium sort of did in the end, but they were the only team other than, I think, uh, Manor or Haas that might have run it. And they just were absolutely nowhere in this race. They chewed through their tyres. And well, I know. do you think it's too early for us to say that Red Bull Racing is back? Absolutely, far too early. They were so they were just very unimpressive. You know, in the past, Verstappen had been really eye-catching, and you think, oh, you know, he's really impressed this race. <laughs> this race, you just think, yeah, he's no no better. And the, going onto the medium tire seemed like a really last, like absolute last resort. Mm, yeah. <laughs> We've got no other option here. And as you said, it sort of worked, but um, I don't know. It just didn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, I guess this really emphasises or perhaps sheds a bit of light on that argument that if we're talking about chassis, then Red Bull has the best one. But in Azerbaijan, it was Mercedes that was able to run more downforce than any of the others because its car works so well in all conditions. Whereas Red Bull had to go for that super low downforce configuration that meant their tyres wore out really early. It's interesting that maybe we get here, and I mean, I know this circuit's unrepresentative and brings out the extremes of the car and all that, but maybe Red Bull's car's, I mean, not quite as good as we give it credit for, do you think? Maybe not. No, absolutely. Would it be, um, would this be the sort of track that you would say they're suited to? Well, I mean, I given, other than that straight, which is ludicrous, I don't know why we're racing on two points. It's 23 seconds of just <laughs> nothing. Unless you're Kimi Raikkonen, you get a penalty halfway down it somehow. You've got 23 just, seconds, prove yeah, yourself! Exactly. Uh, I guess after all that time, just sort of sitting on the throttle, you get bored and you mistake where you are and you forget. But that's a Raikkonen mm. kind of thing. But other than that, you'd have thought all the... I mean, it's all just sort of street circuit stuff, isn't it? And Red Bull's normally pretty good. Like Singapore, they've normally been quite good. And mm -hmm. obviously Monaco, they did very well this year. But... 
I, I, they, you just would have thought they'd have been able to do better, given that, I mean, about half the circuit would be Red Bull territory, the other half maybe not. But considering that they were beaten by Williams and Force India mm. and quite comprehensively by Ferrari, which they're supposed to be sort of in the vicinity of, mm-hmm. uh, right, at this point in time, that... I don't know. It's it's just a really a real big bump in the road for what's meant to be sort of Red Bull is is back to being in competition for wins this season, and you know, it's got to be a bit depressing for them. Well, I'm going to simplify it slightly because I think both drivers had several zone out moments. You know, when you're staring mm. out the window, you just think, "Oh wait, I've lost it. I've lost it. I'll come back." <laughs> like that. They had um, Ricardo had one when he was overtaken by Perez and Hamilton at once. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe he forgot to look. In his marriage you know, that's, that's, that's easy we all do it um, <laughs> or maybe when Verstappen uh, when Bottas and Hamilton nearly managed to overtake Verstappen until he was like whoa 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 whoa, whoa back yeah. in the room so I'm not sure what you know maybe they had late nights the night <laughs> is there a lot of partying in Baku is that what it's about <laughs> I've heard it's party central mm, it could be <laughs> the party central of Europe if only it were actually there uh, I, want, I want to know if we can give an honourable mention to uh, oh, it's really ambitious actually now I look at it but Rio Harianto who was two laps down and the last of all the drivers that finished uh, he did almost the whole race, though, on a single set of tyres. That was impressive. Which has got to count for something, right? <laughs> Absolutely. They were. He was waiting for the safety car, like so many other people. Any minute, any minute. <laughs> didn't come it, it, it must have been like that because how many of these one stop strategies on a track where they were all about gotta save your tyres and save your fuel and also the brakes probably won't work and every <laughs> other bit of the car's not going to work out we need the safety car to be fair he did 48 laps which is quite impressive yeah and his times weren't terrible I know obviously being a well it's essentially a zero stop race for him but <laughs> it's uh, that he's, he was he had the slowest I think average speed of anyone which meant you know his lap times were on average probably the slowest but considering he made it to the end his tyres had not expired he wasn't sliding all over the track or anything like that I mean it shows that Harry Anto's been I think sort of the quiet achiever almost mm. of the year over considering or well, just considering how well rated Pascal Verlein is that uh, another sort of vaguely notable race for him he, he did and, and uh, Harry Anto did really well in Canada didn't he yeah. um, Verlein was quite good in qualifying however in the race it was all completely broken brakes and ugh. Yeah, and I know that they said beforehand they they really were hoping for points because they just expected everyone to crash in front of them. They were hoping <laughs> yeah. for that, that kind of race. That makes you feel good, doesn't it? When the team say to him, mate, I'm sure loads of people <laughs> crash in front of you, so you're going to do really well. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of I wonder what how that conversation goes down in a team <laughs> guys we'll score points our car's not that fast no but everyone will crash <laughs> and we'll get them like that I promise is that a season long strategy <laughs> it's an interesting backmarker approach to Formula 1 but I mean if it pays off then then why not allow it to pay off <laughs> but I guess that was more or less I mean that book ended the grid certainly but that's almost all of the strategic variation there was in this race because I really do feel by half halfway through everyone's just waiting for that stoppage that never came and it sort of led to a race that almost more petered out than anything else yeah exactly biding for time biding their time so. mm, um, which is annoying because it wasn't the shortest race either no it went on for ages we were just watching them all you know go around on shredded tires <laughs> for any minute <laughs> 
So do you think, I mean, Formula One's here for a couple of years at this point now. Do you feel mm-hmm. like this is a race that we can be excited for again in the future? Was this just one bad race because no one knew what was going on at all, it seems? Or do you feel like there's going to be another... I mean, I don't know, some circuits just have a bad reputation, don't they? Well, I think next time we won't be looking forward to it quite so much. So <laughs> it won't be such a disappointment uh, if it's boring. I think this time we were just everyone just kept telling us that it was going to be so exciting and you know there's going to be so much going on and not only that it might rain which it didn't there was no chance of rain Mm. Uh, I think people just blew it out of proportion I think next time we'll be nice and prepared Um, you know we'll have we'll have more snacks Um, (laughs) maybe you know more activities to do during the race and it won't be half as boring next time it's the struggles of being a Formula One fan. There's so many considerations <laughs> to take into account. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Chica. I think we've done our best possible job uh, to sum up what was a, I think we have to say it, a kind of boring race, wasn't it? But I think we got there. Yes, absolutely. We've got there. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, I think this is far more exciting than the race itself, if I may say so. <laughs> well, I mean, the bar was set a little bit low. so. <laughs> but I'll take it. There we I will go. take it on the strategy <laughs> report. That's fine by us. Uh, before we let you go, of course, where can we find you? Where can we find your podcast too? Well, you can. Hang on, let me look this up because I'm found to say, <laughs> I'm going to say this wrong. Okay. So you can find us at ff1s.com. You can find us on SoundCloud. And you can tweet us at for f one sake or find us on Facebook where we're FF1S. You make it sound so easy to say all those letters in a row when really it's actually quite difficult. It's taken me a year to be able to do that. (laughs) Well, it's all been worth it at the end, really, hasn't it? Thanks so much for joining me, Chica. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Michael. And that's all the time we have for this edition of the Strategy Report. If you want to read more about the strategy of the Azerbaijan slash European Grand Prix, go to f1strategyreport.com and follow the links to Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Baku. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter. Be sure to join me in two weeks' time as we look back on the Austrian Grand Prix.